Bibles to James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5. If you didn't get a handout tonight and you would like one, Maria's up. So we'll let Maria pass those out if anybody would like one. You slip your hand up if you'd like a copy of the outline there. That's great. And uh, whew, my voice is worn out. That was a lot of singing tonight. Maybe with my voice worn out, we won't go very long in preaching. Don't hold your breath. That's no secret. I still go. I just want to have a voice all week long, but I still go. It's like the Energizer Bunny just keeps going and going and going. And so, is this your first time here tonight? Can we get your name? Pardis. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Do you live in the area? That's great. Let's welcome Pardis to our service tonight. Thank you for being here with us. And always great to have guests with us. Thank you so much for being here with us. We're in the book of James tonight. James chapter number 5. And talking about being, getting spiritually fit. And a lot of people focus on being physically fit, but it really doesn't do you much good to be physically fit if you're not spiritually fit. The book of James gives some great details on things. And tonight we look at some verses I was studying, and we finished up chapter number four, getting into chapter number five. And I started thinking, does a lot of the beginning here apply to us? Any of you rich tonight? Any of you rich? Laura, are you rich? It depends on what you call it, right? But there are some things that we can learn from this passage tonight, even though we might not be rich. And I don't know of anybody in our church that's rich. They all go to the other churches around town, not ours. We look at chapter number 5 and verse number 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your misery that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupt and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the criers of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth. And been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Interesting few verses right here. Look at these verses tonight, and we're going to look at the dangers of self indulgence. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. We love you. We thank you for the time that we have. I pray that you would help us tonight, help us get what we can from this passage, help us apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We come today to James chapter number 5, and we hear some things from James, the preacher, a stinging indictment upon unrighteous rich people. That's what you hear right here. Pastor James has been preaching in the first four chapters of the book. In chapter number five, he turns from preacher to prophet is what he does. And one commentator put it this way, James' words are to be blunt and even more blunt. And he's quite the preacher. I think if I preached like James all the time, I wouldn't have anybody left in the church. I don't think you could handle it if I were to preach like James all the time. But we look here. And it's easy to read through these first few verses and think to yourself tonight, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. 
I don't think anybody is as wealthy as Bill Gates in the room, and he thought he got that type of money. If you do, we got a building. I want to talk to you about building or buying. And um, no, but rich is kind of in relative terms, right? You know, there was a Gallup poll done not too long ago that said one-third of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. So compared to that one-third of the world, we're rich. You got a $5 bill in your pocket, that's two and a half days for some people in a third of the world. That's crazy to think about. So rich is all in relation to where you are when we look at it. And compared to most, we are rich. Not compared to the most wealthy here in the United States, but you get what I mean when I say that tonight. If I were to give you a one-sentence summary tonight, it would be this. How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. Your wealth and your spiritual health go hand in hand. It's amazing how that works. The Bible talks a lot about it. Have you ever heard the phrase that money talks? You ever heard that phrase? I heard a comedian say one time that if money talks, all mine ever would say is goodbye. And maybe that's how you feel about yours as well, but I think that would apply for me. If money could talk, this is what it would say from this passage tonight. Number one, we see that money can lead to misery. Money can lead to misery. We see in verse number one, it says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Now, if you're at go to now, that's not a phrase that we use today very much. Now, I got a question for you. Two weeks ago, you look at chapter 4 of James, look back at verse number 13. In fact, it was last week, one week ago. Go to now. That same phrase is used. I told you what that phrase means. I will give a special prize. I will give you, I will give you a $5 Starbucks gift card so you can get a coffee. Or, you know, if Gary somehow, I'll get you a Burger King one. I'll make it, I'll make it what you like. If you, someone can tell me what that phrase meant, go to now. Done it. Listen up and pay attention. Johnette got it. So, very good. Nice work there. Starbucks, Starbucks, you got it. Starbucks, you got it. He's got Burger King taken care of. All right, so we got Starbucks taken care of for you. All right, that's good. So, go to now. That would be similar to us saying today, as she just said, listen up and pay attention. James, the preacher, is telling the people, listen up. This is something important, and we see this before. Some people think that James was writing this to the rich, and he's referring to non-Christians. But I don't believe that's true. Say, why don't you believe that to be true? Go back to James chapter number 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. He's writing to Christians. I don't think he's writing this to non-Christian rich people. Because why are non-Christian rich people going to listen to James in the first place? So I don't agree with the commentators. There's a lot that say that. And I could be completely wrong, but that's just my take on it. And my take doesn't really matter. But anyways, when we think about that, there's application in this passage for all of us as we look here tonight. Look at, we see at the beginning, go to now ye rich men, weep and howl. That's kind of some weird, some strange wording right there, isn't it? Just a little bit. He calls them to weep, which means to burst into tears with wailing and lament. And how is this uh, 
term like splash or grumble, to shriek and cry aloud. Ryan, can you give me an example of what weeping and howling? You should have seen him last night for the couples thing. He was Mr., you know, that Slim Jim guy, the macho. He was the wrestler. He, did a, he had the voice down too, and I just wanted to eat a Slim Jim after seeing him last night. And, uh, and Lori, you were Hulk Hogan, weren't you? Yeah. Some things you just never can get out of your mind. So anyways, we'll just leave that there. But it says to weep and to howl. The Greek literally means burst into weeping and howling with grief. Why? Because they were about to be thrown their wealth into the dumpster even worse. It's kind of similar to what it says in the book of Isaiah chapter 13, verse number 6. How ye for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as the destruction from the Almighty. James said something similar earlier in the book. In chapter number 1, and verse number 11, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Proverbs eleven twenty eight tells us, he that trusteth in his riches shall fall. You see, tonight, money isn't the answer for everything. Money can lead to misery. Doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor. Money can lead to misery. I said tonight, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. Number two, riches can rot. Riches can rot. We saw there in verse number one, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Why? Well, look at verse number two. Your riches are corrupt, and your garments are moth-eaten. Then look at verse number three, the beginning. It says, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. So tonight, as we look at this passage, we see that money can lead to misery. Just because you're rich doesn't mean everything's great. Money does not lead to happiness. You know, you look at people who end up winning the lottery. Look at the, the, the statistics, divorce rates, and things of those who win the lottery. Some people think that money can bring happiness. Money does not bring happiness. And as we look at this tonight... And we see the fact that money can lead to misery. We see, number two, that our riches can rot. They're not, they don't last. Look at what it says there. It says, your riches are corrupt, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered. In the first century in James' day, wealth was measured in three ways. It was measured in the grain that they had, in the garments that they had, and the gold that they had. We see right away your riches are corrupt. What did a lot of them have? Their grain is what they lived on. That word corrupt also means rotten, partially decayed. Your, you think about this, your grain is rotten, or you could say your riches, what you have stock in, is rotten. Your garments are moth-eaten. These outer robes were often fancy and flashy, but they are food for moths. Moths do their destructive work silently and in secret. But the damage that they cause is not easy to repair. 
your riches, we see here, are corrupted, they're rotten. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. We wouldn't use that word much today, but it's corroded. Gold and silver, the most durable forms of wealth, don't literally rust, but they do corrode and tarnish. And that's what the verse is talking about. And James is telling the believers here, the rich, the wealthy, to prepare to weep and to wail. Not because they had money, but because they had hoarded it. They had stored it up for themselves. Let me just remind you tonight, wealth is not a problem. It is not a sin to have wealth. It's not. Study in the Bible. Look at people in the Bible. David had a lot of wealth. That wasn't his sin. Abraham, all, the, all that he had, his wealth, it was not a sin to have wealth. The problem is how you use what you have. What they, you think about this, what they owned was useless because they just piled it up for themselves and it was rotting because they didn't do anything with what they'd been given. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 33, Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupt. And just to be clear, God is not condemning, and the Bible doesn't condemn a person for being smart with their money. In fact, it is a wise thing to be smart how you handle your money. It's a wise thing to stay out of debt. The Bible would have you stay out of debt. I think it's very clear. There's many Proverbs and many, oh, no man, anything. Debt is not good, and we live in a world where everyone is in debt. Debt's not good. There's some debts that aren't as bad as others. You know, you're going to be paying rent or a house payment either way, so why not buy a house and in 30 years have it paid off, and when you're older you can live there and not have any of those house payments. You might, you'll still have taxes to pay, but... Amazing, the taxes still come even after you pay the house off and all of that. That's not fair, right? They shouldn't tax you anymore. You, you paid your time and did your time all those years. And it's, you need to be wise with your money. You know, I look in the room. I might be one of the, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm one of the younger ones in the room tonight. I like that. There's a few younger than me, but I know, I know. But you should be in your... 20s, 30s, you should be preparing for your future now. Because that day, it comes quickly. You know, it was just a few years ago you started working at the milk plant, right? And now you're retired. I think you're probably glad you did some wise things. Man, smart. And bought, uh, you had prop other houses that you rented out and different things. It's just, it, the Bible's not against you being wise in those things. And you should be. Take care, of, take care of today. Plan today for tomorrow. I think of my dad, and my dad, he, um, he hurt his back when I was, right, right when I was like real young. So he was in his mid-40s. He kept working there, and the company folded. He lost his retirement, everything in the company. He started working at another place. He got 25 years in. And God worked it out that it was just what he needed to be able to make it. 
but God, God took care of him. It wasn't his fault that he couldn't, that his retirement went out the window. But it would be wise on your part to be storing things up today. This passage is not saying that it's a sin to plan for your future. I think that that's wise to do, and you should. And let me give you some advice on that one, just you in the room and those watching online. I would not be the person to ask how to invest your future things too because I'm still figuring out for myself and getting advice on that one. But like in our church, there are several people. I mentioned the O'Donnells. I think the Harsteads wouldn't be a bad choice there. I think the Walkers, there are several people. Um, the Ellets, there are several people you could look at and they are pretty well set into the future, but they took care of things years ago and had a plan. It would be smart to get a plan together and have that figured out for yourself. That wasn't even part of the message. That, that isn't even in my notes. That all just came right now. Maybe that was God. Maybe that was Brian. I don't know. But the problem is, this is not talking about planning for the future. This is about your attitude towards wealth, not the amount that you have. It's like the verse in 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse number 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. One thing that Christians get backwards, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. This week I'm getting ready. Next Sunday we're starting a new series Sunday morning. I've been really praying about it. I'm thinking about taking for the next seven weeks passages of Scripture that preachers and Christians take out of context and putting them in context. This is one of them. You hear Christians all the time, money's the root of all evil. No, the love of money. Or you hear Christians say, God won't give you more than you can handle. That is not Bible. And I might preach a whole message on what the Bible really says about that. So I'm praying about it, out of context. I'm praying about it and putting things back in context where they belong. But when we look at this passage of Scripture, the Bible doesn't condemn a person for having wealth. It's okay to have riches in your hands, but the problem is, look at what Psalm 62.10 tells us, the end of it. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. You can't let it go to your heart, your attitude, and all that you do, and, you, and consume you, because that's what it wants to do. Your attitude towards wealth. Think about that one. At the end of life, you take nothing with you. Nothing. You, leave the, you enter this world with nothing, and you leave it with absolutely nothing. And when you hoard and keep to yourself, and a me, me, more, more, me, that's a wrong attitude for a Christian to have. You know, We should be, the Bible talks about, we see the Lord, he's big on us giving. And some of the, and that's one of the things too, you look at a lot of Christians, you look at Christians who are well set for their future. One of the common themes you see behind most of them is the fact that they were faithful in giving to God along the way too. It all goes hand in hand together. But when it's all about you and your, what can I accumulate for myself, this house, these riches, all these things, that's what James is talking about right here. It's not going to last. There, it's, not, it's temporary. 
how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. So number one tonight, that money can lead to misery. Number two, riches can rot. Number three, possessions can possess us. Possessions can possess us. The last part of verse number three describes how we own, how what we own can end up owning us. Look at the end of verse number three. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. The word witness is the idea of proof. Possessions can offer testimony against us and eat away at us. Interestingly, our possessions rust away slowly, but they can quickly consume us like a fire can consume. Those who store up treasures for themselves will face judgment someday. And the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 2, verse number 5, treasurest up unto thyselves wrath against the day of uh, wrath against the day of wrath. The question is not, do I have money? The question is this, does money have a hold of me? And there are far too many people who it's the wrong way. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 6 and verse number 20, but lay not for yourselves treasures, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, look at this, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see how you, you see moths are used there and rust? You see how it's used again there in the book of James? When you are keeping for yourself and it's all about what you have and accumulating more and more and your love for money, your love for all those things is strong, that's not how a Christian is supposed to live. Your possession should not possess you. You know, praise God for a car and praise God and you should take care of anything God gives you. If your couch is an old couch, you should take care of your couch because it's God gave it to you. Take care of the things that you have. Wash your car, wax your car, set your car out in your sprinkler and let it get it wet for you, whatever the case may be, however you need to do it. Take care of what you've been given. But do you have to have the latest and greatest of everything? The iPhone 12 is coming out soon. Oh, 5G. I don't even know for sure what even 5G is. Some people say it's the Antichrist. And maybe it is, I don't know. I really don't know, but I hear people say stuff like that. I don't know. Conspiracy theories. Lori, you can probably tell me about 5G, but we can talk after the service about that. But, ooh, the new phone, a new car, having to have the newest, greatest, and best of everything. Why? It's going to scratch. It's going to dent. It's going to be old right after you buy it. Are you laying up treasures here on earth and accumulating for self? Or are you laying up treasure in heaven? Just as I mentioned a little bit ago, it's wise to invest for your retirement years. It's also wise to invest in the heavenly stock market. It's wise to support missionaries. 
I love the fact that our church, we support 34 missionaries, I believe. But I think sometimes, and I'm not saying, we're not changing anything of the way we do it. I'm just explaining something. I think sometimes we do a disservice by 20% of our income going to missions because you're really not giving to missions. And everybody should be giving to a missionary. We should. It's not the church's job to do your job. I love that we do it the way we do it because we get to support more missionaries. I'm not talking about changing that or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, you know, you go eat at McDonald's a few times a week. McDonald's used to be cheap. It's not cheap anymore. You take a family of six to McDonald's, good night. I can't believe how. We go, we go to Denny's on Tuesday nights because kids eat free. We spend about 30 bucks for a family of six at Denny's on Tuesday nights because kids eat free. You go to McDonald's on a normal night, you're going to be spending 30 bucks at least for a family of six. It's cheaper to go to Denny's on that night than to go to McDonald's. But we say we can't give to God and we can buy a $5 Starbucks drink. We need to be laying up treasures in heaven. What is your goal? What's your financial goal? How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. We got to be so careful. Stories told of a man who was visited by an angel. Now, this is just a story, okay? An angel probably didn't really visit the guy. It's a story, so deal with the story. You'll get the gist of it here in a second. The story is told of a man who was visited by an angel promising to grant him one wish. I know, just listen up, okay? The man asked for a copy of the stock market page one year in the future. As he was studying the numbers, he started smiling because he was about to make a lot of money. Then he glanced across the page to the obituaries where he saw his picture. Finally, his new wealth faded into insignificance in light of his own death. Since how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health, I must remember that money can lead to misery, riches can rot, and my possessions can possess me. Which leads us to the final warning of this passage, number four. Self-indulgence can lead to sin. Self-indulgence can lead to sin. Look at verse number four. Behold, the hire of your laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Here's a case where money's talking pretty loudly. The verb it says they're kept back indicates that the workers were never getting their wages. Landowners in Bible days were required to um, pay laborers at the end of every workday. Matthew 20, verse 1 through 16 tells more about that. And when a worker wasn't paid... He and his family would go hungry that night because they didn't get the pay that they should have gotten from that fam- from that from their landowner. Leviticus, do we have Leviticus nineteen thirteen? 
Bible tells there, thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. You're supposed to pay the day that the work was done. And the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 24, 15, it says, At this day thou shalt give him his hire. Neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor, and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. And what God is saying is if you, don't, you, you hire someone to do some work for you, you pay them that day. Because what happens is they need that money. They have to survive. They're poor. They need the money. And when they cry unto the Lord against you defrauding them, it's sin to you that you didn't pay them when you were supposed to. That's what the Bible says right there. So Jeremiah 22, verse number 13 says, Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's services without wage, and giveth him not for his work. Look at what it says in this passage, the end of verse number 4, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. The Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angels' armies, the host of heaven who acts on behalf of the oppressed. This name refers to the Almighty's unlimited power to help and deliver the poor and disadvantaged. That's who hears it. Think about that one. The cries against the wealthy go right into the ears of the Lord of hosts. He also hears the weeping of the wounded heart. Bible tells us Exodus 3, verse number 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. The Bible says in verse number 5, There ye lived in pleasure on the earth, and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. The word you've lived in pleasure refers to self-indulgence is what it's talking about. These landowners were living a luxurious life at the expense of their workers. When the wealthy withhold wages, it resulted in starvation. And we see verse number six there, you have condemned and killed the just. And he doth not resist you. This shows the heart of the problem. There's a problem with the heart. It's self-indulgence. Not only can wealth decay and our character corrode right now, but there's also judgment in the future. God knows those things. God sees those things. And God doesn't take it lightly. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5, 6, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Interesting enough, Jerusalem was destroyed 10 years after James wrote the book of James. Church, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. Remember this, money can lead to misery, riches can rot, my possessions can possess me, and self-indulgence can lead to sin. We're out of time tonight. 
But you could look at Luke 16. And you see about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had all he ever needed while he lived. And Lazarus couldn't even get the crumbs that he needed. Lazarus, the one who ended up going to heaven, and the rich man went to hell. That doesn't mean that all rich people go to hell. But there are those who put all their trust in their riches. And when you trust in your riches, it's going to lead you nowhere. God is not... God is not a respecter of persons, rich, poor, however the case may be. Something that's very interesting when you look at it and when you get all the way through all of it, money is a tough subject. And some people think the more you have, you know something I realized? You remember, and I remember when we first got married and I got a raise and I thought, I got all the money we're ever going to need. And then a few weeks later, oh, I could use another raise. When your expectations rise, you'll never have enough. And when your goal is to build your kingdom, you're missing it. Your goal should be to build God's kingdom. And to be wise in what God's given you and build towards a future. Retirement years and heavenly future. Don't let your money get a hold of you because it does very easily. There are many people I know, they buy and they buy and they think all these things, all this money is going to bring them happiness. Money can't bring happiness. Only the Lord brings happiness. Money can lead to a lot of misery. We read that right here in this passage. And yeah, tonight you might say, well, Pastor, that wasn't really for me. I'm not rich. You can have very little money and it can still apply to you tonight. Are you laying up for yourself treasures in heaven? Or are you storing up for yourself today and being selfish? As I close, the sermon is pretty simple tonight. How I steward my wealth reveals our spiritual health. You want to be spiritually fit? Show me how you handle your finances. Show me your, what you accumulate. Show me what's important to you. There are many people that will work all sorts of hours because they just want more money in their bank account and they lose sight of their family, which should be way more important than what money they have. And they lose their family, and then they've got all this money, and money does you no good. Don't let, don't let this world fool you into thinking that you need more and more and more and more. You really don't. You don't have to have the best new TV that just came out last week. You don't. You don't need the fancy car. And if you do have the fancy car, praise God you're able to have it, okay? Praise God. At the end of the day, it should be a car. I remember God taught me a good lesson. Um, what do you shake it? I wasn't going to tell that story. Would you like me to tell that story now? Okay, I'll tell you that story after church if you want to hear a story about my wife. I wasn't even going to talk about the wreck. That didn't even come to my mind. 
You just brought, that just totally brought that back. That wasn't even going to be the story. Okay, when we were in Montana, we had, we had this Dodge, it was a Dodge Avenger. And it was a blue, bright blue. Like Gary and Johnette, their red car, our car was a bright blue. It was blue instead of red, but it was sharp looking. And I loved the paint job. Like Gary, when you guys, when you guys clean your car and it's polished, I love, the, I love the way your car looks. It shines. It pro- but I love, I love, and I would, any scratches we got on our car? Yeah, it's looking a little buff, a little buff about. I kept that thing great for six months. A kid got mad at me in the Christian school because they got detention. They keyed my car. Do you remember that? That's the story I was going to talk about. We'll tell the other one, too, just because... I, we got to end, but I'll tell that one too. But it's just a car. It doesn't matter. We use that car to pick people up for church. They might not have smelled the greatest. They sat in our car. But that's what a car is for. Right after we got married, I got Caroline. It was a, it was a Cobalt, a Chevy Cobalt, silver Cobalt. Wanted her in a good car right after we got married, all of that. And I was in bed in the house sleeping, and she was going to work in the morning. And I thought she had been gone for a while. And I hear from the street, boom! I'm like, oh, poor person, whoever that was. And I'm still laying in bed, and I'm like, oh, I, I think I even prayed for them. And then Caroline comes walking in the door crying, like, oh, no. I said, is the car, I mean, are you okay? Are you okay? Oh, you're okay. Our car was 62 miles on it, 62 had the bumper all over the street and the radiator leaking everywhere. It's just a car. Most important is the fact that she was okay. (laughs) But when possessions matter to us more than people do, I think that's what this is talking about. When you live your luxurious lifestyle and someone that you owe money is struggling and you don't give them what belongs to them, that's what this is talking about right here, God takes notice of that. And God will even the score. That's what we see. Be careful with your money. Don't let it have a hold of you. Where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Take good inventory on your life and make sure that the things of God and people matter more than what you have.